Happy Sabbath, Church. Uh, Pastor Adrian here. I hope and pray that uh, all is well with you and your family. I just want to affirm the uh, church service that we had last Sabbath. It was really nice to see people here in church last week and uh, that we'll be here again this Sabbath. Uh, it was, it was, it's been a while, and so it was quite a joy to see quite a number of people came out, more than uh, we were originally expecting. Uh, so we are on our way uh, back to church. Uh, it'll take some time, but eventually we'll get things uh, back to normal. Uh, so please, again, continue to pray for that. Uh, we're praying for those of you who cannot be with us in person. Uh, today, we will be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And uh, for some time now, I have uh, wanted to do a message here on the first couple and also on uh, the first couple and also on children. Um, but every time I approached it, I, I just realized it's such a big topic with so many things to say. It really deserves a series. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and try today uh, and walk us and navigate us through the first pair in Genesis chapter 2. And I know that God has a blessing for us here. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And it reads, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray today, Lord, as we uh, look at this passage, this picture of the first marriage, the first couple, our parents, Adam and Eve, in this perfect setting. Please guide us, Lord, help us to uh, take from this today what you would have for us to hear in the 21st century, God, in a, in a time and a place that seems so far removed from the Garden of Eden. Uh, please speak to our hearts today, and I ask and pray that you would guide me with your Holy Spirit, that these would be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember quite vividly my uh, wedding day in Okinawa, Japan. I got married in the church that I was pastoring at the time, the Okinawa International Church, where, in fact, 
Sumako and I uh, both met. We did ministry together. We were friends for um, uh, almost two years. We were friends and then dated uh, for a year uh, before we got married. And um, unfortunately, uh, Japan being so far away uh, and the shortness of time that we basically gave our family was only about three months' notice uh, to actually get married, get all the invitations out and everything. So uh, my family was not able to make it uh, all the way to Japan. And I understood, again, because of the shortness of time, the expense, the distance, and all those things. So what I had decided was uh, during the ceremony, we would set up our computers. We would set it up so that my family could watch the ceremony um, live. And then when I, we got back to the States, which eventually we would, then we would have another uh, ceremony. We would uh, renew our vows at some point so that they could watch us take our vows together. And I remember um, the wedding day was great. It went well. It went uh, pretty smooth. And I really enjoyed it. And I believe Samako did too. We had lots of uh, church family. We had friends. Her family was there. Uh, we had our neighbors were there. And um, I remember that we had it set up so my family could see on the platform as we were coming up uh, to take our vows. And so we went through everything. It seemed to go pretty smooth. And then I called my family in real time uh, after the ceremony, and I asked them, you know, were you able to see it? We had it all set up. And what they said was that everything was working fine, and just as I was approaching the platform, they were watching, I believe it was Skype or some other um, avenue like that to do face-to-face, uh, -face, that just as we were coming up to the platform, some for some reason it cut off. And they didn't get to see us take our vows together. They didn't get to see uh, us up there with the pastor. And so uh, I was quite disappointed about that. And it, it turns out that uh, I was actually using the hotspot on my phone because I didn't feel like the Internet at the church was very reliable at the time. And so, of course, when they called my phone, somebody had called my phone at that very moment I was coming up to the flat platform and it cut off the connection so um, I was I was upset they didn't get to see me take my vows and um, so they they haven't witnessed it and since we've been back to America for um, about seven years now we still have not had a second ceremony for my family um, there's been times that we've talked about it and I thought about planning it and it just has never happened and so I've always been kind of disappointed that my family never got to see me take my vows. Uh, now, at some point, I still want to have a ceremony for my family. Uh, but the fact that they never saw us take our vows and me make this commitment to my wife, uh, whom I love very much and whom they love, has always been something on the back of my mind that has bothered me. Uh, because it's important to me for my family to see me take these vows, to make this commitment to my wife, and to honor her in that way. And so, you know, I, 
I've come to realize something else that's important, though, that my family, they can watch from a distance still. They can see me and and watch us fulfill our vows together over the months and the years and the decades as they pass, that they will be able to see me fulfill my vows to my wife and even before God. And so this is, this is the most important thing, not just that they would see what happens on the ceremony at that day, which is very important, but as the time passes that they would witness two people brought together by God who love each other unconditionally through thick and thin. And so as we look at our passage for today about the first pair in Eden, we see, we go back to a time where God himself uh, is performing the first marriage, if you will. He's, this is during the week of creation, and he is intending that these two, Adam and Eve, this pair, will come together and love each other for all eternity. Until the very end, there was no death in the Garden of Eden. So we often miss the fact that um, while in our day and age we marry until death do us part, there was no intention that Adam and Eve should ever be separated for any reason for all eternity. After all, there was no death in Genesis chapter 2. And so we read here in Genesis about the first pair. And we see here in verse 18 where God says as he is creating and he's coming towards the end of his creation, he's already made the, the sun and the moon and the stars, the, um, the seas, the earth, the planets, the animals. He's created man. And then in verse 18, God says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so just before God finishes his creation, there is something missing. There is something uh, that is not good as he's coming to the end of creation week. And I want to come to that uh, the significance of that in just a minute. But as God has created this perfect environment for Adam to live in, this perfect environment where he has all the food that he wants, he has dominion over the entire planet, all the animals uh, are subject to him. His intellect is perfect. His uh, his stature, his physical stature is perfect. I mean, you can just imagine what Adam looked like, how how smart he was, and, and, and how powerful he was uh, as the first human being living with, without sin, without uh, any degrading of the human body. So there's this perfect environment that's been created for Adam. But God says... It is not good. And so here we see how important it is for Adam and for people to have human companionship. It was the only need that man had during creation. There was no need for salvation 
because man had not fallen. There is no need of a knowledge of God because he was talking to God face to face. They, they were even um, um, doing something together here as God made the animals pass before Adam. And you could, uh, if you could in your mind imagine God and Adam standing next to each other and, and they're talking about these different animals and maybe Adam is just awestruck at God's perfect creation. So they already have this bond, this fellowship together. God, uh, man is communicating with God. Adam is communicating with God. But God himself proclaimed that it was not good for man to be without a companion that was equal and comparable to himself. So, again, there is something missing here. And God wants to bring Adam's attention to that. Indeed, it would be very difficult for Adam to realize that he needed anything at this time. Of course, this is day six. You know, the time hasn't passed, but everything is created perfect and beautiful. So God almost kind of helps accelerate the process of Adam recognizing his need by having these animals pass before him. And as they do, they're, they're coming together in pairs And then Adam realizes, hey, uh, Mr. Gorilla has Miss Gorilla, and Mr. Elephant has Miss Elephant, but where's uh, Mrs. Adam? And so God helps him to recognize his need at this time for human companionship, and particularly for marriage. And this was the first gift that God gave to the human race. It is the first gift that God wanted to give to Adam was someone who was comparable to him, a, a, a companion. So, God, uh, God continues the process of creation by putting Adam to sleep. He takes a rib from Adam while he is asleep, and the Bible says that he builds a woman for Adam. And then he brings the woman uh, to the man. And so, what, what was the purpose of this? Why, why did God not create them at the same time, you know, side by side and and then, and then to wake them up. Why did, God, why did God do it this particular way? There's a lot of different reasons why God created this way. But one thing we learn here is how vitally important that each one of these persons, and it is still true for us today, that Adam find his identity in God first, before he had his identity as Eve's husband, or as a father, or as uh, an employee, or, or as anything else. It was, it was vitally important that Adam first see himself as God's son, and to make that connection with God first. And the same was true with Eve. Because the very first person that she saw was not Adam. It was not the animals. The first person Eve saw was God himself. 
So she first identified herself as God's daughter. Her first, uh, the first person she ever laid eyes on was God. And can you imagine the conversation that they had, they were having together, as, as God brought the woman to Adam? Maybe he said, uh, my daughter, I have someone I want you to meet who is, who is very special. And so he brings them together. And so God told Adam that he was going to make him a helper comparable to him. And once he saw her, he was, he was awestruck. He was wowed. And he, he began uh, to uh, say this poem. Many people have called it a poem in verse 23. But it is important to note that when God said he was going to make someone, he was going to make a helper comparable to him, that God was not saying that he was going to make Adam an assistant. He was was not going to make someone who was simply going to serve him and be some kind of inferior. No, that was not God's intention at all. As a matter of fact, this word in verse 18 for helper, in some of your versions it may might be the word helpmeet. The word in the original Hebrew language is the word ezer. That is the original language. And it simply means to help. But it's interesting that in other places in the Bible, this word ezer or help or helpmeet is actually used to refer to God himself. This word is used in Psalm 33 and verse 20. I will turn there uh, briefly to Psalm 33 and 20, where the psalmist says of God, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, as air, and our shield. Psalm 54 and verse 4 also uses the same language. Psalm 54 and verse 4. It says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. So this word is often used of God in the Bible. It's often used to show how God helps his people, how God comes as a savior, a deliverer during a time of trouble, a time of need. So this idea of a helper is not just an assistant who would just do laundry or only do uh, help around the house or to just to meet man's needs at, at, at her own expense. No, the, the idea is different. There, there's a different idea behind the word helper. You see, Eve was created to help Adam in a very special way. And in fact, Adam is supposed to help Eve in this same way. Eve was to help Adam learn how to love and how to be loved. Furthermore, she was to help Adam learn how to love and appreciate God himself. So she has a very special role as his helper in helping him to learn 
these very important uh, relationship uh, functions, if you will, or actions, the, the reason he was created to begin with is to love and be loved by God, by others like himself, and even to love and care for the animals and planet Earth. And so Eve was a part of the plan that God had in learning, helping mankind to learn how to be like God, how to reflect the image of God. And it is important to note that this help relationship, this, this role as a helper in teaching the other how to love and be loved, it is to be reciprocal. So Adam was to help Eve learn how to love and be loved, how to help her love God and be loved by God. And so, indeed, I, I can, speaking from experience, I have learned so much about God as a married man that I didn't know about God as a single man. And I won't go into uh, illustrations or, or details, but I have to say, I have uh, learned a lot about myself, uh, my own flaws, and I have learned to, need, to, to, to see my great need for God in being a married man. And unfortunately, it is often through my mistakes as a husband, and not so much through the great, quote-unquote, good things I do as a husband. And so I have learned to appreciate uh, my wife in this role as someone who helps me to see my need for God and to love and appreciate His grace and mercy more. So this, this is the idea behind a helper. This is the, the idea behind someone who is created uh, to help Adam. They were really to help each other. And it teaches us also that wives... That women need men who will also help them to love and be loved by God. And so, this type of relationship, this function in relationships, it should not be unique to marriages. It should not be unique to the man and wife this function, this purpose of human relationships should be present also between parents and children. It, it should be uh, a function that is also present between siblings. Yes, even friends and neighbors. We should be helping others to know and love God as well. And we should be allowing others to help us to know and love God as well. There are few things worse than somebody who thinks they know it all, especially when it comes to the things of God, that they don't need any help with someone else teaching them how to know and love God. That is, that is a tragedy. It's, it's a great tragedy. Sumako and I, uh, recently, we uh, watched a Christian uh, film it was really kind of a documentary. And, uh, you know, 
I actually enjoyed this film. I think it's uh, it's rather recent. It's called uh, I Still Believe. And it's a story about a Christian contemporary musician named Jeremy Camp. And uh, in this film, it talks about uh, his... Uh, his experience uh, with uh, his his uh, wife. First in the film, of course, they were dating. They were in a relationship. They were going to a Christian college together. They met there, and they fell in love. And uh, as they were falling in love, of course, there were complications, as there always are in, in films. And um, as it got to the main point of, of the movie, uh, she developed as a young woman, a young college student, she developed cancer. And uh, she started having these terrible pains in her stomach, didn't know what it was, and found out that she had cancer. And uh, she had to uh, go through treatments. Um, As a young college woman, put her her college career on hold. And then, um, I don't want to give too much of, of the film away, but in this film... She went through a lot of suffering and pain, at times anger. You know, there were lots of questions about why this was happening to her. And then uh, her fiancé, who later became her husband, had to go through the same experience about why all of these things were happening. And during this film, during this documentary, um, it highlights how they also experienced great miracles of healing, supernatural miracles of healing. But as the film goes on, uh, tragedies continue to happen in the film. And towards the end, this uh, young Christian woman, she, she says that everything that she's going through, all her suffering and her pain and the complications with her uh, her relationship with her husband, all of these things, that it would all be worth it if it would benefit one person, if it would help just one person in their life to know God. And so this was kind of her, became her great burden, her great, uh, um, almost an acceptance of what was happening because somehow she believed that it was going to help others. And at the end of the film, um, Jeremy Camp, he is doing a concert, and he tells her story to the entire audience, thousands of people who are joined. And he shares with them how she was willing to endure all of the things that she went through if it would help just one person. And so after his concert is over and he's going back to his trailer, there's a a young woman who comes up to him. And she says, with tears in her eyes, she says that that one person whom she helped was me. And her experience changed my life at a time when I needed God the most. And hearing about her experience has helped me so much, it has completely changed my life. And so then she, she basically walks out of, uh, out of the picture. And uh, you begin to see how things come around full, cir- full circle. And so this is one of the, the things that God uses 
to help other people to know him better. And maybe we are in a situation where we are going through some things maybe that are, are unpleasant or we've or we've experienced things over the years or maybe maybe it could also be as sometimes is, is the case is that people are watching us and our marriages and our family and it's bringing them closer to god somehow some way there is a witness taking place that we are not even aware of. There are people watching that we are not even aware of. And God is using our families, both in the good and in the bad, both in the joy and in the brokenness. He is using our families to draw people closer to God, to reflect the image of God. And this was one of the purposes of this union between these two, was that together, not only alone, but together, that they would reflect the image of God and bring glory to him. That their children and their grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren for so many generations would look at Papa Adam and, and Mama Eve and see them reflecting the image of God and reflecting their maker. Indeed, they were to reflect in many ways the Trinity as well. As we learn in the New Testament, and we even see here in the Old, God says, let us make man in our image. And there we have a hint of the Father, the Son, and the Holy, Gro- the Holy Ghost, the triune God together creating this planet and creating uh, man. And so they were to reflect the image of God and bring glory to him. And so Adam, in his newly created state, he thanks God, he praises God for this wonderful gift of Eve and this wonderful gift of marriage. So these two God had uh, planned throughout all eternity to reflect his glory and to be committed to one another. And so that's exactly uh, God's intention and Adam knew that very well. The very first recorded words of Adam in the Bible are in regards to his wife, to to the marriage ceremony, if you will. I often thought for a long time that Adam actually performed his own marriage ceremony. I, I thought that for a long time when I you know, read verse 23, but in, in reality that's not the case. Adam did not perform his own marriage ceremony. No, Adam, this was no human institution. God, uh, Adam was only uh, saying his vows to Eve. He was not uh, the one who was actually wedding them together. No, that was God who was actually doing that. And so he makes this vow. He is awestruck by God's creation. And he, he makes this vow. He commits himself 
uh, to be joined with the woman forever. And he foresees that this would be a continuing practice and institution for all mankind throughout uh, their, the, throughout eternity. And so even though he did not have a father, obviously, and he did not have a mother, so to speak, in the human sense, he knew that as, as uh, mankind multiplied on the earth, that there would be uh, uh, marriages and, and men and women would be leaving their parents and joining with their spouses. So God is the one who instituted marriage. And God is the one who developed this close bond in human relationship. I found this quote in Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, page 46 in paragraph 3. Listen to what she says about God uh, performing the first marriage. She says, God celebrated the first marriage. Thus, the institution has for its originator the creator of the universe. It was one of the first gifts of God to man. And it is one of the two institutions that after the fall, Adam brought with him beyond the gates of paradise. The other institution was the Sabbath. When the divine principles are recognized and obeyed in this relation, marriage is a blessing. It guards the purity and happiness of the race. It provides for man's social needs. It elevates the physical, the intellectual, and the moral nature of man. Now, when I read that, and I've read it before, um, I, I guess I didn't think much of it, but as I was reading it this week and I was thinking about what, what she's saying, she, she's saying that Adam and Eve would actually be elevated. They would actually have a greater human and spiritual experience through their continual commitment and their continual bonding in marriage. As long as they followed God's direction for their union, that it would be a great blessing to themselves and to others around them. It's quite ironic that they actually, or at least we see in Genesis chapter 3, that uh, when Eve was tempted by the devil, he allured her to by, by saying that she could be elevated to a higher state of knowledge, that she would, have, uh, she would be like God if she took of the forbidden fruit. But God was already implanting things in their lives to elevate them. They did not need to take from the forbidden fruit. With time and with faith, with love and with obedience they would be elevated by trusting in God. And so as we know that that was not the case in Genesis chapter 3, we we know what happens there with the fall. But we see here that it was God who was the originator of the first marriage, not mankind. And so God had intended these two that they would be committed to each other for life. 
And as a matter of fact, when the uh, Pharisees and the scribes, when they came to Jesus and they questioned him about marriage, he actually quotes from Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1 as well. And so you have to understand in the days of Christ, uh, there was... um, there were two um, views of marriage. There was uh, the camp of Shammai and the camp of Hillel. And uh, one of these camps, they had a very strict conservative view of marriage that that there was almost no reason for uh, divorce. And the other camp was very liberal. um, And so that divorce was quite prevalent for those who took the belief of of the, the liberal camp. And so in the days of Christ, even some of the religious leaders, they had uh, married and divorced uh, several times. Um, and some even believed that they would divorce for frivolous things, like uh, burning dinner. If a, if a man's wife burned his dinner, then they would separate, you know. And so um, so there was, this was the kind of uh, atmosphere that was taking place uh, that was happening during the days of Jesus. And you can only imagine uh, how degraded, how um, abused this institution had become and how far it had wandered from God's original intention by the days of Jesus. And so they actually asked Jesus, is it okay for us to divorce <clears throat> for just any reason? Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3 uh, they asked that very question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then this is what Jesus says. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So he says, listen, this is not a a human institution. This, This is not something that can be debated between religious scholars. This cannot be something that is legislated Uh, throughout the land. No, this is a religious matter that directly involves God himself. God is personally involved in the marriage between a man and a woman. You cannot separate God out of the equation. And so that is what is happening in, in our society and around the world, even to the point today where there trying to uh, legalize in places uh, same-sex marriages in our country and around the world. This is a, a direct violation of Scripture. And so they have taken God out of the equation. And so then marriage loses its, its meaning. It loses its purpose. It loses its original intention when people take God out of the equation of marriage. And so Jesus says when God is in the equation, like he originally was, then the two cannot be separated. The only uh, 
The only exception is when there has been unfaithfulness on the part of one. Here in Matthew chapter 19, that's what Jesus says. And so this teaches us something very important here in Matthew and also in other places in the Bible. And that is that for every husband and wife and for every family, this is so simple, but it is so important that God has to be at the center of that relationship. God has to be invited in regularly. God has to be the one who is putting the parameters and the the guidelines and the rules and how people would interact with each other, how they would relate. God has to be the one who is doing all of that. Because when God is taken out of the equation, it is no longer marriage. And it completely falls apart. You see, I I believe that it is time for men and women, it is time for families to go back to the Bible. To go back to see what was God's original intention. Now, I want to to close by uh, saying that there is a phone call that I often get, and um, I've had family uh, call me with this. I've had uh, former church members. I've, I've had other conversations with people, and they will call me up or they will talk to me, and they'll uh, say, Pastor, they'll say, Adrian, you know, I think I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this, with this relationship. I'm done with this marriage. And so I often hear uh, people say, you know, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm just not happy anymore. I'm, I'm not happy with what's happening. I'm not happy in, in this relationship. I'm, I'm just not happy. And so one time, a family member called me up uh, and was giving me this, this same line that I had heard so many times before. And... I did something I should not have done. Looking back now, I should have uh, done this differently. But I got quite perturbed. I got upset because I kept hearing this over and over again from people. And so they were using it as an excuse that it was, that it was time for them to exit the, the marriage. And so I told this family member, I said, can you please go to the television and turn off the Disney Channel? Because it sounds to me like you're letting popular culture, you're letting fairy tales shape your thinking about what marriage should be. And I said, you know, happiness in marriage is a byproduct of a lot of hard work. It's a a byproduct of a person who is committed to the other no matter what. And it is a byproduct of two people who love God together. And so as the conversation continued on and there was silence on the other end, I, I, I was talking to this family member and I was trying to help them to understand, you know, what we believe about 
what human relationships should be all about, we, we have to look at what Scripture tells us. We have to look at what God's intentions were. And the intention as we see it in Scripture, and this is manifested most in the example of Jesus Christ, it is a selfless giving of one's self to the other. It is, it is to be so selfless that the person would give to the other one even if they would not receive anything back. And that's real sacrifice. We see it most in the example of Jesus Christ, who chose to give himself to the human race and to the church at the highest cost to himself, even to the cross. And that is our model for human relationships. That is our model for marriage. Paul even mentions this in Ephesians chapter 5. He tells the wives to be submissive to their husbands, even as, as the church is to Christ, for the man is, is the head of the church, uh, the head of the uh, household, the head of the wife. And then he tells the husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so you think about that standard, that's way different than what we see is practiced in our culture today. It's something very different than what we see is practiced in our culture today. That, that turns our thinking about marriage completely on its head. This relationship is not for my happiness. It's not for me, but it's for the happiness of the other. And it's for the glory of God. And that, that can change the way our relationships uh, are, the way that they function, the way that, that other people see it, and, and the way that we see it as well. And so this, this is a great objective uh, of God in human relationships. Because when both people are giving self-sacrificially, then everybody's needs are met. Imagine that. And you know, as I say these things, I, I want to emphasize again, this, is, this goes for all human relationships, but bar- particularly this great of all human relationships. You know, I talked to my grandmother years ago, um, and I remember um, when my grandfather passed away, this was my uh, paternal grandfather, our grandmother. Uh, he passed away uh, about 20 years ago. Um, I was still a teenager then. And um, I remember um, when my grandfather passed, uh, how great my grandmother's mourning was. I could tell that she really loved that man. And I remember the, the years before he passed, maybe the last five or, you know, uh, six, seven years of, of his life, I remember admiring my grandparents' marriage. I remember seeing them as a young man. I remember seeing them laugh together. I remember seeing them uh, being together verbally, you know. I remember seeing my grandmother lovingly 
serve my grandfather. And I remember seeing my grandfather lovingly serve my grandmother. And so uh, after I'd become a Christian and and, uh, I was still single at the time, I asked her, you know, about about their marriage. I asked them, you know, because I know that she, she still talks about him today and how much she loved him. And she, she shared, you know, that it, it was not an easy journey. Uh, it was not easy at all. Uh, she remembers the passion of the first years of their marriage. And then as kids came along in other circumstances, uh, it seemed for a very long time um, that that passion was gone. And that it was a struggle for them sometimes to stay together. But as time passed and they stayed committed to each other, that God had done something uh, in their marriage. Somehow, and I I can't explain it, God gave them uh, uh, this very special time just before he died. It was the last five or seven years before he passed away. And as Excuse me for saying this, but as elderly people, they fell in love again. They fell in love again. And I remember seeing that. And I always admired that. Even other members of our family I talked to, they said, you know, Adrian, your grandparents, they they really had something. Um, And it's a sad thing that my grandfather had died when he did. And I had always admired that. and And I always wanted that. For myself, but I could see that they were happy. I could see that they enjoyed each other, and I could see that God had done something very special in that relationship. And that's what God wants for us as well, too. God knew that without human companionship, that this world would not be the happy place that He designed it to be. That this world would not be what God wanted us to experience. Even the angels, if we had communion with the angels of heaven, that would not be enough. So God created the first pair to be together, to reflect his image, and to love each other unconditionally. And I believe this challenges us today in an age where love is fickle, in an age where uh, separation is rampant, in an age where parents and children uh, don't respect each other or love each other uh, like they should, this challenges us to go back to Genesis and see God's original intention for relationships. It, it is his, his desire that we reflect his image in our relationships and that we love each other unconditionally. And I know that as we do that, we will bring glory and honor to God in an age where people are needing God like never before. Our families can be a great witness in a time when when the the name of God is being slandered, when marriage is being desecrated, when families are falling apart, he's calling on us as Christians to direct others to our God. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.